Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Rees. Basketball is the sport of first choice of millions of youth in the United States and, by some estimates, as many as 800 million individuals of all ages worldwide. With its ever-increasing popularity, however, comes increased risk of injury, particularly among those unaware of how best to decrease that risk through proper preparation and by observing best practices. Here to speak on the subject is physical therapist Amy Atmore, a sports specialist who has worked with middle school, high school, college, and professional basketball players, and with athletes in other sports as well. Among the aspects she discusses are the most common basketball injuries and why they occur, the roles that factors such as rest, body mechanics, improved body awareness and athleticism, nutrition, hydration, and quote-unquote dynamic warm-up play in minimizing injury risk and maximizing athletic performance, considerations in making return-to-play determinations, and the simple steps that basketball players and athletes in other sports can and should take to best ensure safe participation and remain at the top of their game. Amy recounts the advice she shared with middle school age basketball players and coaches at a recent workshop and tells Move Forward Radio what energizes her about helping athletes stay on the court and off the injured list. Here's our conversation. So, Amy, we're here today to talk about injury prevention in basketball. I should note at the outset that that you're a physical therapist who specializes in sports medicine and that you've worked with high school, college, and professional athletes, and not just basketball, but also baseball and football. So, before we get into specifics, can you kind of briefly recount your, your path to this career? I mean, were you always very athletically active yourself? And also, did you have any injury-related experiences that you felt uh, motivated you to explore this, uh, this area professionally? It has definitely been a journey. Um, I did not start out immediately in sports medicine, um, although I was very um, athletic growing up. When I first started my physical therapy career, I began in um, brain injury and neuro. That translated to uh, orthopedics and then eventually sports medicine. So I I kind of stumbled upon this passion of mine, and uh, over time it has turned into essentially sports medicine. Growing up, I did multiple sports. I did gymnastics, tennis, swimming, and water polo was my my main sport. And and you Um, you felt like this was an area that you wanted to specialize in? Yes, absolutely. Personally, I did sustain uh, multiple injuries. I've had everything from concussion to uh, sprained knees, shoulders, and I also had a pretty major jaw uh, injury, which required six screws in both sides of my mandible at one point. (laughs) So I've learned a lot from my personal injuries, and that gives me a lot of interest in wanting to make sure that those I work with can go a different route that I did not. 
Well, it's interesting that you should mention uh, concussion, um, uh, and uh, concussion is another area that you work in as a physical therapist, and we're going to get to that later on. But, but first of all, I, I wanted to ask you let, let, just to kind of narrow things down a little bit. Let, let, let's talk specifically about basketball. Um, you recently gave a workshop in Hawaii for uh, for youth basketball players from the seventh grade up, and, and for coaches as well. And um, Mm-hmm. You talked about why common basketball injuries occur and how to prevent them while improving body awareness and athleticism. And, and also, you and your, your guest at that time, uh, a basketball skills trainer who's, who's very well known named Sarah uh, Takahashi, who's based there in Hawaii, took participants through an injury prevention program that you called a quote-unquote dynamic warm-up. So I'm going to ask you to break all of that down. But first of all, let's start out by, can you tell uh, listeners a little bit about what are some of the common basketball injuries and, and, and why do they occur? First and foremost, the age group that I taught this workshop to were mostly middle school players, so seventh grade and up. So we're talking about anywhere from... 10, 11, 12 years old. So for this age group, the most common uh, injuries were ankle sprains. Um, ankle sprains account for at least 40 to 50% of the injuries seen in high school and middle school basketball across most research, followed by tendonitis of the heel and the knee due to that, that huge growth spurt that happens for those kids. So I would say ankle injuries by far um, are the most common ankle sprains. Inversion ankle sprains where they roll roll their ankle in, and uh, the cause would be from landing. So most times they're coming up, and then they land awkwardly, and then they sprain their ankle. Now, the other thing is one of the biggest risk factors for injury is a history of a previous injury. So if they have at any if they have had prior ankle sprains, and they're already more likely to sprain their ankle again, and then that turns into a recurrent ankle sprain. So that's what I address in in that part of my workshop. So, um, uh, again, we're talking specifically here about middle school students, but uh, I wanted to ask you, Mm -hmm. to what extent do the gender and age of the athlete play into the types of injuries that are likeliest to occur when, when someone's playing basketball? Age and gender certainly play a role. When we're talking about the growth spurts between boys and girls, we know that Girls, they, they have that growth spurt before the guys. They're getting tall very quickly. Their femurs are growing very fast um, between 10 and 14, and then the boys between, like, 12 and 15. So that age does make a difference as to when they're more prone to getting that, like, Oshka Schlatter's apophysitis in the, in the heel. And then gender, when we're talking about ACL injuries, it's a known fact that females are much more likely than males to sustain ACL injuries of the knee. The statistics have improved a little bit over time. It used to be a much larger gap, but according to the most recent research, I think in 2018, they were talking about females being close to three times more likely than males. I think back a few years ago, it was it was closer to eight. This was a pretty large study, uh, one of those systemic reviews of thousands and thousands of other studies put together. But uh, females are, are certainly more likely than males for ACL injuries. When we're talking about growth spurts, the age certainly makes a difference as to when you're more susceptible to getting that tendonitis. 
Now I know in this in this uh, workshop that you that you gave, you talked about some of the the key aspects of injury prevention in, in basketball players, mm-hmm. and and I know that you talked about a, a range of things: the the volume of training, the importance of rest, and also things like nutrition, hydration, and body mechanics. Can you can you talk about some of those injury prevention measures? Again, the audience for this workshop that I gave was middle school, and one of the biggest things I wanted to emphasize was the importance of getting some time off to rest. Um, it's really tough. You know, basketball is super competitive, and in this day and age, it's, it's not uncommon to see kids play year-round, you know, travel ball, club, and it's just, it just kind of keeps going. So for these kids, I, I emphasize a lot of things such as taking time to recover, trying to have an off-season where they can still play ball but just not as competitive, um, encouraging other sports uh, in addition to playing basketball, um, trying to not specialize until they get to high school, and, of course, the, the other components of injury prevention that I touched upon included strength and conditioning as a, a huge component of kind of keeping the body healthy and body mechanics, teaching proper form, how are they landing, how to land in a way where they're not putting so much stress on their their knees, just the basics of all those things, because these kids are no more than 12 years old. I'm not trying to talk in any clinical language to them. I'm trying to translate the the information that we as clinicians use all the time, but in a way where they can see it as, as something that's going to benefit their performance and athleticism and being able to play better on the court. I want to ask you about a couple of things that you that you did you mentioned in passing. Uh, one of them was uh, participation in other sports. What what benefit does that have? Yes, so this can be a controversial topic. The topic is essentially, you know, should kids specialize early? Is that a bad thing? So what we're talking about is when kids know that they're going to be specializing in one sport, in this example, basketball, what I'm trying to do is encourage these kids that it will not deter their skill set by playing in in another sport in addition to basketball. The advantage of playing multiple sports at a young age is the ability to not overuse the same movement patterns. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, playing basketball, playing soccer, doing gymnastics, just, just kind of spreading out those skill sets will allow for a change in not only motor control, um, also mental change. You know, they're they're not doing the the same mental game. Um, we're trying to decrease the risk for mental fatigue in the sport, so so that by the time they do get to high school and they do want to specialize, they're not going to be exhausted because they've done this since the age of eight. Another thing that you had mentioned was uh, strength and conditioning. Um, wh- what are some of the yeah. keys in this age group to strength and conditioning? The strength and conditioning portion of injury prevention for basketball narrows down to doing balance training, single leg strengthening, and and what that does is it helps improve what we call proprioception or the body's awareness in space. And we know that with ankle sprains, those who are not able to balance well are much more likely to sustain an ankle injury, which I had mentioned earlier is is one of the most common injuries in basketball. And so um, strength conditioning, we're, we're talking about incorporating a lot of that proprioception uh, work, single leg strengthening. And because we're working with middle school athletes, you know, I'm working a lot on 
the, their body mechanics and control. And at some point when their uh, maturity level for their body mechanics has been mastered, that's when we can implement resistance strengthening, which is safe and which is beneficial for young athletes. One of the other things that I'd mentioned was uh, nutrition and hydration. Obviously, you are not a dietitian, but you do have some some general guidelines that you offer in in that area. Yes, I uh, do want to have a disclaimer. I'm not a nutritionist. With my background in PT and uh, strength conditioning, you do learn the basics of uh, nutrition and uh, hydration. And so I, I just briefly touched upon this in my workshop um, for these kids, and I, I emphasize the importance of being hydrated as your body and your, especially your muscles and your brain is about 75% water. And when you're working out, you know, several hours a day and uh, year-round, it's important to make sure that you are getting the adequate nutrition. Um, otherwise, if your your muscles aren't refueling, you're you're putting your um, your body at risk for injury. Um, because it's, it's not getting the fuel that it needs. Um, I touched upon just the basic uh, necessities of nutrition, the, the three uh, basic macro food groups that you need, um, carbohydrates, healthy fats, protein, eating fresh, fresh foods, avoiding processed foods, trying to hydrate throughout the day, talked about trying to shoot for at least half of your body weight in ounces a day of water, using electrolytes during practice and training to not deplete that. So just those basics of nutrition and hydration. Well, another thing that we had talked about, or I mentioned in passing at the outset, was you had talked about in that workshop, you talked about quote-unquote dynamic warm-up. So could you tell me, Amy, what do you mean by that word, and why is warming up dynamically important, and and what are the components of such a warm-up? Dynamic warm-up is something that you essentially do before you practice or play in order to prepare your body to perform at its best. So specifically, the dynamic warm-up is a movement-based warm-up. Typically, in the past, when people say warm-up, it could mean a lot of things. But when we're talking about dynamic warm-up, in the sports medicine world, most people are on the same page. You're taking a stretch and you're moving through that stretch as to replicate as much as possible a specific movement of the game. So as far as what consists of a dynamic warm-up, it, it, it takes about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes. It's done prior to training. It includes a couple things. One, it's supposed to increase the heart rate. Two, it should include multi-directional movement. It should have some kind of single leg challenge. And then three, it dynamically stretches all muscle groups by activating your hips, your core, your shoulders. By the time you complete this dynamic warm-up, you're you're pretty much ready to to go up and down the court. It's going to feel good. And, and of course, this is all research-based exercises that have been shown to decrease injuries from anywhere from 40 to 60%, which is huge. It's a simple intervention that can be implemented into um, not only basketball, but other warm-ups to help decrease the incidence of injuries. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, 
addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choose PT. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. Obviously, there are a lot of different things to consider in, in properly preparing yourself to, to play and avoiding injury and, and so on. So I wanted to ask you, when it, when it comes to preventing injury, ideally, should basketball players work with a medical professional such as yourself or, or a coach? Or um, Also, are there good ways for athletes to kind of self-educate on these matters? Oh, yeah, definitely. Just kind of following through from the, the last topic of dynamic warm-ups, there's some very well-known warm-up programs that are evidence-based warm-up programs to reduce injury. The FIFA 11 Plus, Sports Metrics and PEP, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but those no. are all easily accessible online. It is free. You can Coaches can have access to that. And the warm-up that I instructed was actually kind of a combination of those three in addition to some of the things that I kind of implemented with my basketball players that I found to be successful. But what I would encourage coaches to do is essentially look at those programs, see what they can um, add to their existing program, um, and uh, they'll they'll be quite satisfied. Um, when it comes to preventing injury, I think in the real world it's going to be tough to find a medical professional to work with. But, of course, I would certainly – be biased and saying to, to work <laughs> with a sports PT <laughs> um, and a coach who could communicate well with each other um, because you're you're getting both sides of both worlds in the sense that you're getting the proper coaching and you're you're getting an injury prevention perspective as well. There are coaches out there who are super knowledgeable about injury prevention and in that their journey may have included personal injuries themselves, so they're they're a lot more aware of monitoring injuries and, and, and implementing specific exercises in their routine. And, of course, the other way around, physical therapists who have worked very closely with coaches and can do a little bit of both. There's a lot of overlap there, but uh, it, it certainly would work to their advantage if they could find a, a good sports BT and a coach to work with them. Well, we've been talking primarily about uh, basketball in this discussion, but as I as I mentioned earlier, you've you've worked with athletes in a, in a range of ages and sports, and also uh, levels of participation. You know, middle school, high school, professional, and so on. Another area in which you have expertise, which again I, I referred to earlier, is return to play after injury. Can you tell listeners a little bit about the dynamics that are involved there, and specifically what your work in this area has consisted of in developing guidelines? Yes, returning to sport is essentially a phase of rehab where you may be functional, you can walk, run, you don't really have any complaints yet, you can't jump or land or or sprint, you can't play your sport yet. And so this is a very, very important part of rehab um, that uh, is necessary in order to not only get back to sports, but to get back without getting hurt. Again, a lot of people rush through this or not don't do it at all, whether due to insurance coverage or or whatnot. But essentially, what this area involves is teaching the athlete proper progressions to get back to running, to cutting, changing direction, being able to do reactive movements. So let's say they do get back to sprinting and running and changing directions. Now we're gonna put 
two athletes on the field, have them face each other. One person's going to be on offense, one person's going to be on defense, and then having them do the same exercises with a mirroring drill to replicate more of that reactive component that you need on the field in a competitive environment. So that's, in a nutshell, the, the return to play phase after injury. When I first started seeing athletes, I did not have any protocols or guidelines to go off of. Mm-hmm. And so I began creating these objective tests to make sure that there was something I can utilize to check off these athletes to let them know, okay, you are currently at 75%. You know, I need you to be at 90%. And it also allows the athlete to see where they're at. So it's it's literally a, a sheet specific to the sport. So I've, I've made some guidelines for dancers. Um, soccer players in addition to my basketball players and that criteria it has to be completely checked off they every athlete needs to get at least 95 percent to pass the test and once they do pass it's not quite uh you know you can go ahead and compete this weekend but it's it's still strategic from there i would typically allow them to go back to practice either contact or non-contact from there once once they can pass that test then they can Uh, potentially scrimmage. Once they can pass the scrimmaging with no issues, then they can play in a game, but maybe just uh, 10 minutes at a time. So you see there's that stair step in returning back to sport. So it's safe and it's effective. Now, you mentioned that you've developed this checklist. Um, Obviously, you're in California and a lot of our listeners are are, are not going to be. What should they do to to ensure that they're uh, following some kind of appropriate uh, checklist or or sort of getting the, the kind of preparation for return to play that they need? Each PT is able to use some form of um, return to sport testing or testing to assess for readiness to play. Um, something simple that coaches and players can do is, 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 I mean, it makes sense if you're going to be running, you're, you're landing on one leg. And one thing I always tell my athletes is you have to be able to jump and land on a single leg. Now, if you can't do that and repeatedly, let's say 15 times, and you notice that you're falling over, you're not feeling confident, or you might be feeling pain, that's certainly a sign that you might not be ready to get back into that competitive atmosphere. So doing like a single leg hop test is what we call is is a great one to self-assess. Of course, there's few other um, return to sport tests out there, and now we have a lot of access to that in, uh, you know, JOSPT, the Journal of Orthopedic Sports Physical Therapy, NSCA also has their strength conditioning journal. So we have a little bit more information that can be accessible online for coaches who are interested in trying to see if their players is uh, ready to play if they don't have access to a PT. Just to kind of put a fine point on the necessity of this, uh, Amy, can you can you talk a little bit about what are the dangers of returning to play uh, too early? Every, everyone who gets injured wants to get back and to get back as soon as possible. There's you can't really compare the um, each person's goals, but at the end of the day, um, it comes out to a risk-reward. I try to teach my athletes this, meaning let's say you have a meet in two weeks and it's a pretty big game and mm-hmm. your prognosis is currently three weeks or four weeks. So by the second week, if you're not meeting that return to sport criteria, as a sports PT, you can't always make the decision of whether they can or can't return to play. 
But if they decide, along with their coach and their parent, that they want to play, they have to understand the risks involved in doing so. This probably happens 50% of the time. And I have a little piece of paper, a waiver, if you will, <laughs> that basically mm-hmm. states that I understand that I have passed these return to sport test, yet this does not prevent me from injury and I can still get hurt. So if we take, for example, like a pulled hamstring muscle and uh, it, it, you know, maybe like a grade one, it's been a week, it feels better. Um, The athlete's able to sprint fine up to like 75%, 85% effort. But once I add that reactive component, I have them follow another player on the field and now they're starting to feel it, I, I, I'm going to tell them, you know, in the game this weekend, you're going to feel that, and you have to be aware that this is something that could re-tear. You know, we could probably pull the hamstring a little higher, and if we're looking at risk-reward, you know, do the pros outweigh the con or vice versa, and try to have the athlete be a, an active component in, in that decision because I'm not going to be with them every step of the way. At some point, they may move on. They move to may may move to a different state, um, and having that ability to discern uh, appropriateness to play is going to be huge as they go into their career. You've packed a lot of experiences into a into a I guess a relatively brief uh, career to date. Uh, which, by the way, how how long have you been a licensed PT? I've been a PT since 2011, so this is my eighth year. Okay, so so you've you've done a, a lot in, in that time. So in terms of the kinds of things we've been discussing today, uh, preventing injury, uh, maximizing performance, uh, safe return to play, is there a particular interaction or two with with an athlete that kind of stands out in your mind as as sort of an illustration of why you do what you do? That's hard to say because every patient I've ever worked with. I learn from, but one thing that stands out are those who come to me kind of stuck. They have had PT, but they haven't been able to get back to getting that 100% mark. So they're functional, but they still can't play their sport. And that's where Return to Play Rehab comes in. That's where I have the most fun. A particular interaction, uh, most recently, I would have to say this one stands out the most. I had a basketball coach come to me with repeated calf strains. It's a pretty high-level coach. Nobody had ever showed him how to properly progress through a plyometric program, being able to go from just running to jumping again. So I spent uh, several weeks with him. We went through just basic fundamentals of these plyometrics, starting with mastering his single leg strength and then progressing to single leg hops. Fast forward to today, when I last checked with him, he mentioned that this is the most athletic he's ever felt and now he can dunk because his vertical has increased. So that's not me being a coach, but that's me just doing fundamentals of sports rehab. And I have to say by far, like, hearing those types of quotes make me want to continue doing my job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Finally, kind of coming full circle in everything that we've talked about during the course of this conversation, can you summarize a few things that athletes, really regardless of their age, gender, or sport, should keep in mind to avoid injury and and perform their best? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned before the number one risk factor for injury is having a previous injury. So if you do get hurt, I would advise to just make sure that you take care of it fully if you if you are able to, especially if you're younger. It's tough to imagine yourself being in middle school, but, you know, sports is everything. But, of course, at, if you want to do it when you're older, um, try to take the time to take care of your body now. 
um, try not to push through an injury um, so that it doesn't turn into a vicious cycle. There's a lot of talented players out there, um, but they're not able to make it to the top because of their repeated injury. So take care of your injuries if you do get one. I would also say see a physical therapist annually. Almost like when you get an annual exam from your physician, seeing a PT annually once a year can help you screen for issues that may arise later. They can look at basic things such as your, obviously, flexibility and strength, but a sports PT can do some of those return to sport tests as a screening tool to assess left and right symmetry. That is also something that has been shown to uh, increase your risk for injury if you have more differences left to right. And then just keep moving, make it a lifestyle, incorporate strengthening into your program. That altogether will help to minimize your injury and perform at your best. Amy Atmore, thank you so much for speaking with us on Move (laughs) Forward Radio and and sharing your expertise and insights with us. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com.